Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of the audio magazine, My Quest for the Best, where we meet business, thought, and community leaders to discuss issues relevant to entrepreneurial growth. Joining us today is Stefan Swanepoel. Stefan is an international best-selling author of 20 books on business trends, real estate, and social media, as well as a motivational keynote speaker with over 700 presentations to 500,000 people. His most popular real estate books include the Amazon bestseller, Real Estate Confronts Reality, and the annual Swanepoel Trends Report. His most recent book, Surviving Your Serengeti, Seven Skills to Master Business and Life, is a New York Times bestseller, and his other titles have been featured on the bestseller lists of the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Publishers Weekly, and many others. Stefan has held offices as president, CEO, and chairman of a technology company an education company, a nonprofit association, a movie studio, and a 2,000 office international franchise. He's also received numerous awards, including Businessman of the Year from JCs, one of the 20 most influential people in real estate today, and one of the top 50 people you should follow on Twitter. Welcome, Stefan. Good morning, Bill. It's an honor to be with you today. Stefan, how did you get your start as an author? Oh, my goodness, that's a good question. It's quite a long time ago. I think it was around about 1987. Uh, my father actually is an author, and he's published a few books, and uh, I just felt that I had a need to, to share knowledge and, and uh, take information and experience which I had and, and get it onto paper, and I thought I'd take a stab at it, and I, I did that uh, in the real estate industry, actually. I wrote a book for the real estate industry, and I donated the book to uh, the association uh, that looks after and takes care of the real estate industry, and I donated them to 1987, and, uh, you know, I, I got bitten by the bug, and I've been doing it ever since. What do you enjoy most about writing? Oh, probably the sharing part, and that sounds a little corny, but, but it's really true. Um, so, so many people um, uh, enjoy a, a good book, and, and therefore, when you're able to put your thoughts um, in, in, in line together, put it into some structure, really, really do whether, whether it's the research or you're writing from your heart or from your gut, and you're able to put something into writing which somebody else reads, and, and they come back to you and they say, Bill, uh, this made a difference in my life. This, this impacted me. This helped me be more successful. This helped me grow my business. This helped me whatever you contributed to their life. That's satisfying. And, and that's really a, a, a big, big motivator in, keep you, in keeping you to, to keep on writing something new. You've written for real estate, but you also write for a wider audience as well. Isn't um, Surviving Your Serengeti a, a general business book? Oh, absolutely, it is. Yes, I have written many books about real estate, and that's, that's sort of how I grew up in the real estate business. So I've, I've been writing strategic plans and, and trends and change and innovation and technology for the industry. But about four or five years ago, I said to myself, I would love to branch out and try and see if I can help a wider audience. And I, I took business principles. I, I've grown a few businesses in my life, and, and I've raised two kids, which um, my wife and I, they are in their 20s. And I thought if I could take those, those business principles, those life principles that, that I've used to be successful and, and to raise two, two wonderful kids, um, if I could take them and put them in a story. And, and I was looking at my bookshelf, and I, I looked at the books on my bookshelf, and I said, wow, the books which I liked are all business fables. You know, well-known books like um, Ken Blanchard is an author, Andy Andrews, Patrick Lencioni, Stephen Covey. Those kind of authors are the ones which I tend to read. And I said, if that's what I read, that's what I should write. So that's what my last book is about. It's, it's about a business fable or a, or a metaphor or a parable about a journey through life where two people go on a safari to Africa and they, they glean different messages from that journey. 
how was it um, setting out to write a book that was a, a learning stable versus one that is much more technical, like the reports that you're known for? Ooh, that's a tricky one, Bill. You know, the publisher actually at one stage said, maybe, maybe I can't do that. And I, I, I think at the end of the day, writing one book compared to another, if you're willing to do your homework, Bill, if, if the readers and the listeners today on, on this call of yours, if, if you set your mind to something, if you have a goal, if you have a plan, and if you do the necessary homework uh, and learn the skills that you might not have to do that specific task, I think you can do almost anything. So although, although I was a technical writer and, and not a fable writer, I, I took, you know, I said four or five years ago, I took the first two years and, and I said, well, are there any courses? Are there any classes? Are there any books? Are there any people I should meet? Where can I go to learn more about this craft, this industry, this niche that at that stage I, I, you know, I enjoyed, but I didn't know anything about it? And over a two-year period, I, I met many, many wonderful people. I went on many courses. I read many books. And, and after two years, I said to myself, you know, I, I think I understand now this niche, this market, this style uh, of, of writing and marketing and publishing. And, and, and then I jumped into to creating the book and the product. Could you share with us briefly what the seven skills are for mastering business and life that you wrote about in the book? I, well, you know, I, I actually started originally with, with 40. Um, and uh, I tried to see if I could find a parable in which I could um, – if I could find a landscape where I could put in this 40, this 40 skills, and I, I very quickly came to the conclusion that, that that's way too much. It's, it's overwhelming. That would become an academical book. And clearly I was approaching that almost like my other technical and academical books. So I rapidly cut it down to about half of that 20. And then I was looking for a story. Uh, Bill, I was looking for a, a, a metaphor or a parable which I could use as a, as a canvas to, to, to take you on a journey and then during you, during you taking part in this journey that you would be able to learn these skills. And I, I quickly find, found that I thought that the, the Serengeti migration, the, the migration of 1.5 million wildebeest and 300 zebras, 300,000 zebras and 200,000 gazelles, where they, they go on this journey for almost 1,000 miles migrating every year, and they, and they overcome hunger and thirst and predators, they cross rivers and savannas. I said, wow, isn't that maybe almost a, a parable for our life? Isn't our life like that? I mean, don't we every day basically walk up and, and we run, maybe not a thousand miles, Bill, but, but I mean, we, we're every day running from A to B. And, and we have in our lives things that go wrong with our lives. And we have our own Serengetis, you know, whether it's a, an accident or a loss of a job or cash flow problems in your company or maybe even a cancer or a divorce. We have different Serengetis in our lives. So I jumped on a plane and I, I flew back to the Serengeti. I, I was, of course, born, not of course, but I was born there, but, but that was as a child. So I flew back as a grown-up and I said, can this parable work? Can I take the migration and put the story into it? And I quickly again discovered that the 20 animals was even too much. So I, I trimmed it down and I researched the 20 animals and I ultimately concluded that there were seven skills that I wanted to convey the message across. And the seven animals which I, I found were not just animals which I randomly grabbed from, from the sky. I actually have selected animals that if you see them in their natural habitat, if, if you see them in the Serengeti and you see how they live their life, you will actually understand the skill. So let me take you through the first one, the enduring wildebeest. Now, the wildebeest 
is um, a, a direct translation. It's a Dutch word, which means wild beast. It almost looks like a, a skinny bison. And it is the central character, if you saw the movie The Lion King, it's that central character that actually stampedes and runs. So this is the animal that, that has to run because the grass gets dry. They can't find any liquids anymore. The little rivers and lakes and dams and water ponds and, and, and puddles dry up. So they have to run to be able to get nourishment. And in that journey, they have to overcome many of these things. And the fact that they are able to overcome, as I said, hunger and thirst and predators, that makes them enduring. That gives them that tenacity to, to survive. And that's the first message we want to give the people in our company, the people that are struggling in business today, have the tenacity and the endurance and the resilience to overcome whatever life may throw at you. The second one is the one which many of us think about when we think about Africa, and that's the lion, the Lion King. So here we call him the strategic lion, because the strategic lion has to plan breakfast every day. When he wants to go out and have a meal, he can't just go and, and kill any animal. Most animals can actually run faster than the lion. So the lion has to plan a line of attack. He has, to, he has to encircle his prey. He has to have all the females work together. They have to identify the weakest. They have to be downwind. Nobody can hear them. Nobody can smell them. And they all have to execute their plan in sync together to be able to succeed. Otherwise, they too will fail. And when they fail, they don't get breakfast. They don't get a meal. So that could mean uh, much more serious consequences to them. So they have to succeed. So the strategic line is our second animal, which we remember. The third one is the enterprising crocodile. Now, the crocodile didn't create the migration. He is, he is the king of the jungle in the river, not, not on land, but in the river. But, but when those wildebeest have to cross the river because it's raining on the one side and the grass is greener on the other side, just like our own life, and they're on this side, they realize, because the average wildebeest lives for about uh, 10, 10 years, so they cross this river many times in their life, and they realize that there's danger there. But the crocodile is sitting there waiting. In some cases, you could maybe say he's an opportunist. But he understands that this, this migration only happens once a year, and they will come back a second time a year. And he has to obtain as much sustenance as food as he can during this time. He is enterprising. He is creative. He will be patient. He is confident. He will wait for the right opportunity because he does not want ten thousands of hooves trampling all over him and hurting him or killing him. So he has to wait for the right opportunity to seize the opportunity. So when opportunity knocks, he is there. The fourth animal is the cheetah, the one I put on the cover, a beautiful, sleek animal. And he represents efficiency, being effective. He can run 75 miles an hour, but be able to run 75 miles an hour, you have to tread carefully. You can't tread in a thorn or on a stone. You can't run into a tree. So you have to use your entire body and your sight and your vision and your balance to a 100% efficiency. Just like us in human life, we have to use all of our resources, be, be that capital if you have a small business, be that your human resources if you're a small business. You have to use them efficiently so that you can succeed. The next animal which we have, which is the fifth one, is the graceful giraffe. We sometimes forget that, that in life we have many things to be kind, uh, grateful for. We have, to, we have to mentor other people around us. We have to coach other people around us. We have to have a kind heart. Not everything is always just given us to us because we've deserved it. Sometimes we are fortunate enough to receive things, and we have to convey and pass along that, that dearness and that kindness and that gentleness and that ethical professional behavior to all the other people we deal with. We have to remember always to do the right thing. And that's the graceful giraffe. And when you see the giraffe in nature, you'll understand that kind-heartedness, which is so important in business and in life. 
Second to last animal is the mongoose. Now, many people might tell us they don't know what the mongoose is. Well, just think if you saw maybe on National Geographic or one of the TV programs, the meerkat, there was a program called Meerkat Manor, and mongoose is very similar to a meerkat. It's almost like a kind of a, you know, Bill, it's like a squirrel kind of a thing. It's a small animal, and because they are so small, and they have so many animals that will hunt them for prey, they have to be very adventuresome. They have to take risks. They have to be able to go places where they know their life could be in danger. Sometimes they would even go after the king cobra. But they will take a calculated risk. And we in life have to take calculated risks as well every day. Some risks are easy, like maybe driving a car. But when we are out of money, out of cash, venturing into new markets, new products, trying to survive in a market, those are all calculated risks which we have to take endeavor, so we can endeavor to survive. Last but not least is the elephant, the biggest mammal on the planet. Now, the elephant is an exceptional planet, uh, animal. They grow as much as 100 years old, and their young sometimes stay with them up to 60 years old. And they constantly keep on coaching and mentoring and teaching their young. And when they sometimes migrate, they can actually communicate with each other something like three, four, five miles apart both verbal communication through trumpeting, nonverbal communication through maybe vibrations in the ground. So they're experts at communication, and they remind us how important communication is, not just if you're a speaker or a writer like I am, but communication every day. If you're a small company, if you're a medium-sized company, or if you're a big company, getting the message across verbally, nonverbally, in writing, even if you Facebook or Twitter, Communication is a vital key to be successful. So the seven skills, never give up, always have a plan, be enterprising and creative, be efficient, be graceful and kind, always remember to take a risk, and always communicate the message across. So is the point of the book that each of us has a, a collection or assortment of some of these characteristics, and the ones that we have identified with the most strongly what do you recommend that people do once they've read the book and understood the principles and the characteristics? Yeah, that's a, good, that's a very good summary, Bill. That's a good summary. We all do have multiple talents. We, we, we're not one-dimensional people. We, we have a, a lesser degree or a higher degree of each of these skills. But, but the, book, uh, the philosophy of the book is that we have one of these skills that is our strongest skill. Only one of these skills is our, our dominant skill, our innate skill, or our survival skill, if you want to talk about it. Let's say that you and I, Bill, went to the Serengeti tomorrow. We were parachuted into the Serengeti. What could you depend on me, and what could I depend on you? If we, you and I had to survive and overcome uh, hunger and thirst and, and the cold of the weather of the night and, and all these predators... You know, which one of us would be making food? Who would go find food? Who would be building the camp? Who would be analyzing things? Who would be finding the right position? So each of us has a unique skill. And what we've done is we've created a quiz, which is called What Animal Am I? And we've made it so easy, it's actually at a website, if I, if I may say the website. It's whatanimalami.com. I mean, that's as easy as it is. There's nothing else on that website. There's no commercials or advertising. It's a single one-page website, which will lead you into this quiz. And this quiz is a very simple 21 questions. There's there's no right or wrong. You can't fail this quiz. Anybody can take it. There's no costs. You can take it on your iPad, your iPhone, your Droid. You can even take it on Facebook. It's an app on Facebook as well. So you'll take it on average. We've now had over 120,000 people take the quiz. It takes about three minutes and maybe about 10 seconds. Go through and, and pick, a, a pick on a scale from 1 to 10. 
And don't go 10, 10, 10, or 5, 5, 5, 5. Then the quiz is not going to give you the result. And, and give the instinctive answer from your gut. Don't, don't try and beat the quiz. Don't try and analyze everything too hard. Go through the questions. Give it your first response. and Give it a 1, give it a 5, give it a 10 or a 9, whatever. Go through it, and the quiz will instantaneously give you your result and come back and say, you are a effective cheater. And then you can go to the website, serengetibook.com, and there's lots of more information on that website about the book itself, about each animal, and what you can learn about each animal. I, I bet that people want more of an experience of learning about these than just reading the book. How else do you get your message out, thinking that you're going to be using all of these traits to build your business successfully? How else do you get this message out and help people develop both awareness and skills and proficiency with using these for themselves and their teams? Yes, very good, very good. Definitely, I mean, the book is, 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 a, is a fun read, but it's about a three-hour read, and it's a read for, for your kids at high school. It's a read for, for entrepreneurs. Uh, we've had many, many realtors uh, read the book. Um, so it is a read for, for both business as well as, as private enterprise. But, but that gives you just the, the just of the wisdom from the Serengeti. The book does not afford you the opportunity to really get deeper into it. We have now recently created a coaching program as well as a workshop program. And these are offered through what we call the Serengeti Institute. And you can go to serengetiinstitute.com. Again, it's just a one-page page, which will then give you a little su summary about the workshops and the coaching. It will give you more details about the book and the keynotes. We're even thinking about a retreat, and I'll tell you about that in a second, Bill. But th the coaching is a program which goes over, over nine weeks in which people can actually learn more about the animals through a kind of a webinar, one hour a week, one hour every second week, so you can do that at the convenience of your home. Or we've had a variety of companies now ask us if we would come to their company and do a two-day in-depth workshop program. This is about 14 hours long, where we on the first day spend about an hour on each of the animals. There are seven animals. We spend about seven hours the first day, and we go to each animal in depth. We find out if you are this animal... What are your skills? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your applications? What's your mindset? How do you work as an employee? How do you work as an entrepreneur? Then we take it one step further. How do you lead as that animal? How do you supervise as that animal? How do you manage as that animal? And then the last day, we have a bunch of activities, and we have opportunities where these groups then break up into groups after we've quizzed everybody. On the workshop, you can actually find out what your second and your third strongest skill is. And we break the groups then up into herbivores and carnivores. We put the lions together and the cheetahs together. We put the the giraffes together, and we give them real-life practical quizzes and, and questions. They will then analyze if they were to become a CEO of a, I don't know, let's say a Fortune 500 company or a hospital or a school or a small entrepreneurial business, and you could create the dream team. How would that dream team look like? Who would you pick and why? And then we analyze that all during the second day. So it's a huge amount of fun, and the people learn to be able to read other people's skills and find out why you would maybe have a risk-taking mongoose maybe as your partner if you want to venture overseas and expand into markets you don't know, but maybe if you're uh, doing a heart surgery and somebody's going to cut open your heart, maybe you don't want a risk-taking mongoose at that point in time not knowing what he's going to do. So we show you in a simplistic way how different skill sets. There is no bad, Bill. That's a very important thing of the Serengeti quiz. There is no bad skill. There is no wrong skill. There is no better animal. There is no weaker animal. Each animal has a unique set of skills for a unique task, for a unique person, for a unique circumstance. And I think it really comes down to knowing what your skill set is innately so you could make the greatest contribution and maximize your effectiveness and satisfaction. Isn't that sort of the, the central theme is to be able to know it 
So you're not, you're not an, a communicating elephant trying to take risks, but you learn to maximize what you're already good at initially. That is a 100% accurate assessment. I, hope, I wish everybody got it as quickly as you did, Bill. That is spot on. We are who we are. And, and I want to teach people, I want to help people be comfortable with what they are. We gave a, a, a class the other day to a group of 40 people in, in Utah, and this lady, she was probably in her mid-60s, during one of the breaks came to me, and she had tears in her eye. And I said, what's wrong? What have I done wrong? And she said, no, I'm a graceful giraffe. And for the first time, I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm happy with who I am. And I said, but why would you not be? And she said, because that gentleman over there and that gentleman over there have always told me I should be more bold, more aggressive, more dynamic, more planning, more entrepreneurial. She says, and it's not me. I, I am just this sweet, kind, soft-spoken, gentle kind of a person. And today I find out that they are actually entrepreneurial crocodiles. They're, they're big um, strategic planning lions. And that's why they're different. And I'm different. And you've told me that there is a role and a place for me in all companies. I'm the glue that keeps the company together. I'm the one which everybody cares about. I'm the one who looks after the people during the breaks and building the teams and doing the charities. I'm the one that actually is the spirit of the company. Yet at the same time, I now understand that I need the lion because without the lion, a company wouldn't have a plan to go forward. And without the entrepreneurial crocodile, I wouldn't have a, a, a driver at the, at the helm of the company which would be driving every day forward to try and make sure that the plan which was created by the lion is all going to happen. She says, I now see how we all fit together in one big, you could call it a big Serengeti. And that's the important thing. Use the skills you have for the right task and the right functions. Absolutely. And what's so beautiful about the way that you've framed this model is that people could obviously see the absurdity of a giraffe lying down in the river waiting to pounce on animals that cross it. When we step outside what we're dominant at, we're really, we, don't, we don't have the skill set, we don't have the mindset, we don't have the tools to really be effective playing someone else's game. Yes, I, I think you're right. The, the, the visualness of the giraffe and the visualness of the crocodile and the lion makes it easier to understand. And once you've attended one of my classes or, or one of the keynotes or even read the book, you will actually see that visual. And I promise you that once you've even read the book, and I mean, you can get it for an audio book for five bucks. So it's an inexpensive item. But once you see the visualness of that lion as he creeps up slowly going around the rock and around the bush downwind, and he's trying to get closer to his prey. Once you've experienced that, whether it's in writing or a visual on the PowerPoint or whatever, you will not forget that because it's so easy to remember. And then you understand that, that, that when I want to go and create a plan, a lion creates a plan instinctively. They don't even think about it. It just comes naturally because that's what God made the lion to do. He's, he's not upset about what he is. That is what he is. That is how he functions. And a lion is happy to be a lion. In, in human life, we often try and change our personalities. We carry a mask around us. We're different to our parents as we are to our spouses as we are to the company. But a lion is a lion. A giraffe is a giraffe. And, and, and they, they, have, they have made peace with who they are, and they've learned to use those skills that they have. And it's, it's a, a little bit more, can I say black and white, it's easier to see. Uh, there, is no, there is no malice in nature. There's no remorse. There's no vindictiveness. There's no fiefdom. There's no politics. A lion doesn't kill more than it needs to feed itself and feed its family. It's, 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 uh, now, we are not animals. By no means am I implying that we are animals. But the animal gives us a window into ourselves. It allows us to look at ourselves in a fun, interesting way and realize how we can each be better people.
Stefan, you did some very interesting things in order to become um, bestsellers on Amazon, New York Times, getting the press reviews that you did. Can you share with us a, a couple examples of the techniques you used to get some great visibility for this book? Absolutely. If, if, any of my, if any of my experience which I gained can help anybody else become a bestseller, I would gladly share it. Uh, you know, most of the, the courses and, uh, I attended and many of the people which I consulted with and or met at some of these courses mostly had, had one strategy. And I was so um, scared that one strategy might not be sufficient that I actually went and implemented multiple strategies. So I will share with you today, this morning, a few strategies. And in many cases, any one of these strategies could be successful. I happen to have, have implemented more than one. One good way of, of, of getting uh, a, a bestseller or, or, or reaching, now remember, let me just quickly preface that by saying a bestseller on Amazon is different to a bestseller on Barnes & Noble, which is different to a bestseller on USA Today or Wall Street Journal or New York Times. They each have different criteria by which they measure a bestseller. Amazon will measure a bestseller every 60 minutes. So every 60 minutes, they will look at the sales of the last 60 minutes. And of course, they only look at sales on Amazon.com, which makes a lot of sense. So you can think for yourself that the sales at, on a Sunday morning at 2 o'clock is much less in a specific category only on Amazon, where a New York Times looks at sales at Barnes & Noble and Borders and Books A Million, as well as online sales, so they're looking at sales across the country at bookstores as well as online, and they look over a one-week period. So you can offer, be, often become a bestseller on Amazon, depending on which category you are in, for I would say probably somewhere between 200 to maybe 500 sales, and you could become an Amazon.com bestseller. However, if you would like to become a New York Times bestseller, now again, it depends which category you are. You know, is this hardcover? Is it fiction? Is it business? So it depends which category. But if we take as a rule of thumb, I would say you probably have to shoot for approximately 10,000 sales in a week. So as you can see, huge difference between 500 and 10,000. Now, it's not important to become a bestseller. It depends if that's one of your goals. If, if it is not one of your goals, if your goal is, is to create and use the book as a, as a calling card, as a business card for you to generate more business for uh, entrepreneurial business, then a New, York, a New York Times bestseller status is maybe not important. If you're out to make money, then maybe, again, the New York Times bestseller is not important. But if that is one of your goals to become a bestseller, then you should follow one of multiple strategies. Let's, let's, give, you, let's give you three here today, which I can think of. The first one is bulk sales. Bulk sales helps a lot. Bulk sales would be where you could go and talk to a client. Maybe it's a client you've worked with in the past. It could be a client that has maybe a few hundred offices or a few hundred employees. And you could go to them and say, I'm willing to come to your company. I'm willing to come and give a presentation to your company about my new book. And in exchange for me coming to your company and giving up some of my time and consulting for your company and talking about the benefits of my book and all the lessons from my book, I would like you to, instead of paying me for my time, I would like you to buy a certain number of books. And maybe that client because you're coming in that day to come and speak to a couple of hundred or maybe a couple of thousand clients uh, or client, uh, agents or, or, or employees, they might be able to, to buy you a couple of hundred books. If you can do that repetitively enough to a large number of clients, you might be able to secure a large enough quantity of book sales um, in advance of the book coming out, and then you were able to process those number of transactions uh, on the launch day of your book. So, so that, would be, that would be one strategy. 
Another strategy would be is to use social media effectively. As we all know that, that if you have been able to garnish a lot of traction on, on Twitter or maybe on Facebook or maybe on LinkedIn or maybe on YouTube or any one of those platforms. Now, don't think that you can just wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm going to tweet about it. And now you open a Twitter account and you send out one tweet. That's not good enough. You probably need, my guess is, somewhere between 10 to 50,000 followers on Facebook and or Twitter and or LinkedIn to be able to have sufficient momentum to be able to kind of tweet out, to be able to get some other people. So we created an account two and a half years before the book came out, and we released, um, I'm guessing now quickly, maybe five to ten tweets a day, every day, as we started talking about general stuff, not just our book. We, we did talk about a book at the appropriate time, but this wasn't just a sales pitch. We built up a relationship with thousands and thousands and thousands of people where we spoke about what they were doing, what we were doing, what's valuable. We shared on message. We retweeted people. We reposted on people's walls on Facebook. We posted pictures. We built up a relationship with a group of people, which became our, you could call it our fan club, our friends, our followers, so that by the time our book came up, we reached out to that group and we said to that group, would you be able to, uh, would you be willing to review the book? Would you look at the book? And they said yes. And, and so when the book came out, we had a lot of people actually review the book. If I remember correctly, I think we had something like about 400 people that got a copy of the book, read the book up front a day or two before the book came out or the first week of the book coming out, and then wrote us a review whether they wrote that review on Facebook, whether they wrote it on Amazon.com, or they wrote it on their own blog site, it was placed on a multitude of different places. But Google picked up those reviews. And now, some of the reviews were positive, some of the reviews are negative. You can't manipulate the reviews. You can't tell somebody what they should write. But if your book is good enough, it should sustain the test of time. And if you go look at the reviews which we have on, on Amazon, and I would appreciate anybody's review which is listening to the call today to go to Amazon and go give me a review, the majority of the reviews are very good. I think we have something like 140, and I'm guessing, I think it's 140 or so out of 190, five out of five reviews. So the majority of people did give us a five review because they think the book is good. But yeah, there were some people that read the book and said this is a one or a two. And, and you know, as hard as that, that hurts, but, but that's life. You know, different people have different, different opinions about the book. So, so that would be a, another opportunity. A third opportunity was just after the book came up is to go and do as many interviews as you possibly can, whether that's a podcast, whether that's a webinar, whether that's a radio interview, if you are lucky enough to get onto TV, even if it's a local station. I reached out to radio and to blog talk radio and a variety of other people that had programs like the one which you have here today. And during the launch period of the book, I think I did about 40 radio, radio and blog talk radio kind of interviews in a 30-day period. So very tiring. I, I did it every single day. But what does that do? That allows me the opportunity to, through you, Bill, and I have to say thank you very, very much for this opportunity today, to reach out to the people that like you, the people that follow Bill on his website and follow his, his quest for the best. Uh, those people which I might not know might be listening to this call today and they might say, wow, because of Bill, I'm going to take a shot and I'm going to read this book. And that's another way to, to sort of branch out. So in my case, I did all three of those strategies at the same time. Uh, it's very tiring, but it was very successful. The energy and thoughtfulness and success that you've met with as a result of following these strategies as well as all the other things that you've learned have been extraordinarily beneficial to, to me and everyone who's listening to this program. So I want to thank you, Stefan. Thank you so much for sharing with us 
how you set out to learn about the craft, the industry, and your niche, and you actually went and visited the Serengeti, so you could firsthand experience how these animals took on this journey and how they used their special skills. Your insights have been extraordinarily valuable and entertaining to listen to. And if people listening to this experience the book, learn to apply it into their life, and learn to make peace with who they are, it will have done some enormous good. So thank you so much for sharing again with us today on my quest for the best. Bill, thank you very, very much. And as this uh, interview comes to an end and the sun rises on the next safari, I hope that the wisdom of the Serengeti serves to you and all of your listeners as a compass through their life. And thank you very, very much for your time today.